Being customer-centric. In theory, this is an operating model that makes the customer the focal point of all decisions related to delivering products, services, and experiences. In essence, the customer's best interest comes first when making all business decisions. Sounds good. But is that realistic? Is it achievable? Or is it simply good marketing? Today, we will click into this concept of being customer-centric with Muz Songrul Ala, SVP of Applications, Service Excellence at Oracle. So let's get right into it. And first of all, Muz, can you tell our listeners about your current role at Oracle? Uh, yes, absolutely, Thomas. First and foremost, thank you for having me on this podcast. Um, as you mentioned, I lead an organization called Application Service Excellence. This group encompasses support and customer success for Oracle's entire applications portfolio, both in the cloud as well as on-premise. It's uh, great to have you here today. And, you know, this term, customer-centric, right, it's become a little bit of a, of a buzz phrase in, in tech. What, what company would not want to be customer-centric, right? Who's going to raise their hand and say, hey, I'm not customer-centric? But, but you, you and I had a great conversation about what it takes to actually operationalize this concept. And I, I want to start at the beginning. What, what was the catalyst at Oracle to commit to being customer-centric? So that's a great question, Thomas. You know, I think what Oracle really is looking at is not unlike what a lot of other technology companies are looking at, as they really understand what is driving their clients' appetite to transition to cloud, whether that's moving their own applications into a public cloud or consuming SaaS from technology vendors. What we realized was we needed to take a very fundamentally different approach in helping our customers um, than we did from an on-prem standpoint, right? Uh, Especially if you look at the Oracle uh, portfolio, uh, there's a lot you can do in on-premise with customizations and integrations that in many cases, you know, only the client really knows about or a systems implementer put put in place. And consequently, it drives a more traditionally transactional interaction model. You know, if I was to talk very specifically about support, you know, it's a take a case, close a case, move on to the next case kind of mindset. In cloud, as customers are trying to figure out what does it mean to operate and manage successfully in a new paradigm, there was an expectation now of you need to provide me continuity of experience. This transactional model is no longer fit for purpose. And we really needed to understand, well, what does continuity of experience really look like? You have to start thinking about not only how a customer is ultimately consuming your technology when they're quote unquote live, but what needs to happen at individual phases of that entire life cycle where you're bringing that context perpetually, you're bringing relationships perpetually, you're bringing um, the entire organizational set of capabilities into that framework, right? We talk about journey maps all the time, uh, but really understanding how the entire corporation fits into each of those phases was what you would need to do to deliver that alignment to the customer's journey. So here we realized, look, we need to go do this, and we need to do this in a way that not only is solving for it at the individual person-to-person interaction level, but how the product itself, how the digital assets around the products actually had to evolve. Because it's one thing to say, hey, it's all automated. Here's the tool, go use it. But understanding, well, what is the actual set of activities that needs to happen to allow this new tool to nicely fit into a customer's business workflow, you you have to meld those two together. So that's one of the big impetuses. And you know, for us to be 
uh, successful and, and, and get our fair share of the market, we needed to make sure that our, as our customers were moving critical business processes to the cloud, that we were with them every step of the way, right? Moving payroll to the cloud, uh, closing your books on a monthly basis, quarterly basis. You know, these are critical business processes. And so, I mean, so to your point, I mean, this is, it's, it's a big thought, it's cross-organizational um, and, and you, and you, you know, and you lean into it, right? It is a company you get excited about it. What were the first few operational changes you had to make to, to, on this journey to be more, you know, customer-centric? Yeah, so this, this was interesting because if you look at um, how technology companies have evolved, right? Especially if you look at how you bring things to market, it's typically, I have this widget, it's a great widget, it solves this particular set of business problems. And now you have a set of services around that, which are usually for fee. Okay, if you need our help as the vendor, you can buy our professional services, or you can buy a premium level of support, et cetera, et cetera. First and foremost, we had to say, look, when we were in the cloud, we have to now basically just provide a subscription to the client. The entire service experience should be in software as a service, after all, right? Not a software and a service, right? So um, we had to really be thinking about what are the key capabilities that customers will expect from a vendor on the journey to cloud that just become part of the experience that delivers that continuity that I just talked about. So to do that, we brought these capabilities together, right? Support and success are now within one organization. And I work for the head of applications development at Oracle, right? So I and my peers are part of the development organization. Uh, we did this to remove the artificial barriers that sometimes HR reporting hierarchy introduces. You know, whether we like it or not, it's a thing. So that you could have a common set of goals and objectives. You remove friction points, right, of where... Maybe your technology company's culture is such that development says to support or success, if it's not a bug, don't bother me, to one which is what a customer is actually saying. Um, I haven't seen an enterprise technology company at scale have that organizational model. What it's done is it's changed the types of conversations that we're having. Right? One of the things I tell my team a lot, and I think um, anybody who's in the business of you know, support or success and talking to clients is... It's one of the largest, if not the most uh, important, listening posts for customer sentiment around your particular product. That's very valuable intelligence to bring to the table. You just need the right forums. A typical model where, you know, hey, this product is not working as expected. Is it a defect? Is it not? Is it something that needs to be done for help? Is it not? Doesn't necessarily have an elegant way of bringing sentiment. Like, oh, we're seeing a big cluster of issues in this area, is this something we fix in the product? Is this something which is a one-off? That's what we try to now put in place. And we've been relatively successful of changing the dimension of the conversation, bringing developers closer to the customer and bringing our service people closer to development so that those barriers become easier to, to overcome. So, I mean, if I play that back to you, I mean, you're basically saying, that, hey, to be more customer-centric, you know, organizational structure matters. And that if you have, you know, some of these stovepipes in place where you don't historically have, you know, a lot of that handshaking and back and forth, that that's, it's it's harder to be customer-centric. And, and, you, and so that's one of the moves you made on the chessboard was to really rethink reporting and structure to basically accelerate those conversations. Is that a fair assessment? Absolutely. And we've done this across the entire Oracle portfolio, not just in cloud, I mean, every product. Um, and look, it, it, 
allowed the type of conversation to be broader. It allowed it to be richer, right? It allowed it to be um, now one where, you know, we, we talk about how customers use products and, you know, if there's things which are not being adopted at the level that they need to be, you know, typically the flow would be, hey, I'm hearing this, let's get our sales uh, colleagues together and then we bring it to the teams that can make things happen. Now it's much faster, right? There's an expectation of that conversation. Whereas maybe before it was, oh, okay, why are you talking to me about this? This seems odd, right? So um, it, while you know, there's probably plenty of examples of companies who don't need to make large-scale organizational change in terms of org structure to, to get to an outcome, um, I found that it absolutely has allowed us to bring things to the table, which may be reactive, but maybe more, now more proactive conversations about experience overall. And to teams which probably haven't, ever really had those conversations or have been really hungry for it, but now actually can get, get this information. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, in my observation, you know, if you look at a lot of enterprise tech companies, I mean, these, these walls that exist, for example, between the service and the product organizations, right, where that information is not flowing. And we always like to talk about designing the complete offer, not designing a product offer over here and then some service motions around it over there. It has to be one thought. And especially to your point, I mean, you're really trying to drive customer outcomes. You're trying to, you know, drive value realization. It has to be the complete thought. So structuring to accelerate that, I think is good. You know, I'm curious, again, because this is a you know, being customer centric is a big thought across a lot of organizations. How do you get, you know, product folks and sales folks, some of these other teams to really lean into this? What are, what are some of the things that you did there? Yeah. So it's a great question. And this is also one of those things, which is crawl, walk, run, right? It's if we take a, a position that says you're starting out position is a very traditional model. Right? The dev team builds, the service team serves and supports and sometimes we interact when it comes to a situation where the product's not working as expected, right? To now, we have to be aligned on a good customer experience. You can't just go immediately take it to some high-level outcome metric that you, you know, especially for the types of personalities that fit in these organizations that says, oh, now it's a, a renewal rate or NRR or what have you, and expect suddenly behavior to change. So we have to think about what do we measure that people could get their heads wrapped around as it pertains to the roles that they play, regardless of what job they have, right? So you've got product managers, you've got development engineers, you've got sustaining uh, development, you've got DevOps organizations, you've got um, design and documentation organizations, you have support, you have customer success, you have this huge group of people, uh, each of which is driving a specific part of the outcome that have to somehow, you have to win their hearts and minds. Um, and do so in a way that they could go, oh, wow, okay, I can see now that our focus on X and Y will show up in these particular metrics. So what do I mean by that? Um, we have to start thinking about what do we measure that would be a proxy for a good customer experience while continuing to work on what would a good outcome be, which is obviously, hey, customers using the product, features are being adopted, they are continuing to buy more, et cetera. That in and of itself, if you were to go to a, a support engineer or a, or a development engineer, okay, great. But you know, what does that mean for my day-to-day? So we looked at things like, okay, from a support perspective, there's no shortage of metrics in a support organization. My experience has been is very much optimized around operationally, uh, operational efficiency. How many cases can I close in a month? You know, and a lot of times that's... How fast do I close them? Yeah, yeah, yeah you know, uh, 
which isn't necessarily indicative of a good experience, right? Like a close click is really fast and have a lot of upset customers with that. So we started to look at things like, okay, how about incoming volumes? Can incoming volumes come down over time because we are indeed taking what we're learning from these signals that are coming to us and improving the product, improving the help, meaning customers are less reliant overall on Oracle because they're getting more self-sufficient, right? It's already a big jump to be able to say, I need to move my entire business to the cloud. These clients then have to start thinking about how do they now mature their cloud processes. So we said, okay, this is going to mean that we can jointly measure how dependent are our customers on support to get their business value. That means engineers can go look at saying, I'll no longer see tickets like this anymore because I've improved the product where this error message will never get thrown, as an example. Or I won't see any more tickets around this how-to question because it's front and center in our uh, help, right? So that, that's one dimension. Second is per customer is the amount of dependency. I use that word as a proxy for the service request is what our trouble ticket, you know, support ticket, whatever you want to call it. Is that coming down over time? Because they have more training and enablement and education, and, and now the technology is, is well understood. Time to resolution, not closure. Because you know, at times, you'll have to splice in experts, which may not be in your organization. Can we all measure time to resolution as opposed to, hey, for my particular piece of this workflow, I did really well, but this other piece did not. Um, how often are customers having to escalate to us versus us escalating on their behalf? So what we did was we looked at each of these metrics and say, look, while it's a tactical activity-based metric and support, every one of you aforementioned organizations have a role to play in that, right? You're making the product better. You're making the help better. You're removing friction when we have to collaborate because you have access to a particular area by definition in DevOps that we don't. Um, and now there's no uh, question mark on if we do all of these things right, is the experience better? So that's the kind of moving from crawl to walk. The walk to run then becomes, how do I connect that with this customer's more engaged? And this is an area I think the industry, this is my opinion, still has to figure out. Because obviously you could say, Muzz, you didn't say CSAT, right? Well, because a lot of support organizations talk about that, even success organizations. To me, that's a measure of the, that element of a customer interaction. I had a great support experience. I'm going to give you a high score. That is not a proxy for a happy customer. All that tells and me it's is also that, not a proxy for adoption. To your point, or, or value realization. It, it, all it is is, hey, that person that I worked with was great, but I'm annoyed that I had to go to support in the first place, right? So, we we really had to start thinking about what can we can we measure things that everybody can look at and said, huh, yeah, okay, what I do actually will move that needle. I can now translate that into my daily job on what I have to do. A similar. Um, uh, concept in adoption to your point, right? Uh, it may be a case where, hey, I've created a feature and it could be used in a multitude of different ways. But if I'm starting to see now qualitative feedback through our customer success managers of clients not being successful in this, you know, using this or have questions around it, well, did I really create this with a point of view on what 80% of the time this feature needs to be implemented or, or, or set up in a particular way? And this whole notion of having a point of view on the best practice is X. When I build this feature and ultimately my expectation is the best practice is adhered to. Once you start really upstream, it theoretically is easier to have, oh, to the customer conversation, you, you did not adhere to this best practice. 
because we've defined it for you, as opposed to after the fact, you're like, well, you know, you really should implement this in a different way. Well, why didn't you tell me that during, you know, the project early on? So these are the types of things we use to, you know, strengthen the connective tissue once we made these organizational changes. It's, you know, otherwise, it's easy to reorg, you know, otherwise you could be in Palooza every year. But unless you actually now say, okay, and this is what we're collectively going to measure, and therefore this is collectively what we're going to discuss on an ongoing basis, I think it's uh, very easy to just slip into kind of lip service and not actual transformation. So, you know, as I listen to you, again, a key tactic here for our listeners to think about is if it's one thing to say we're going to be customer-centric. And and ultimately, if we think we're going to be customer-centric, good things will happen like better retention rates or, or expansion rates, whatever. But that is too high level for the people that are in the trenches, you know, being customer-centric. So you've got to translate this to metrics that are meaningful to them, that they can look at, that they can, you know, move, right, that they, that they can influence. But I'm really curious as I was listening to your description. So, so walk me through this fact, let's take a support organization, which historically is going to be, again, very focused on case volume, how fast I close things. I mean, this is how I define success historically, right? This is probably how I'm getting funded in terms of headcount and everything else. And now you put a metric on, you say, hey, success is going to be defined by reducing the case volume. We want you to be working on less cases. That's actually a better customer experience. They never had to call. How do you pivot an organization like support or any organization where your metrics are really changing and going in a way that historically, you know, that's not, not what you're focused on. How, you know, just, just walk me through how you get them, get them through that knothole. So as you would imagine, I get a lot of questions about this, including from my team. It's like, oh, wow, volume is going to go away. What does that mean? Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm asking. Yeah. Um, so that implies that if you look at your support volumes, you're capturing a 100% of the questions customers have to ask you. The reality is there's only so many hours in the day. So you're probably capturing a much smaller percentage of the total universe of questions. If I have to ask you simple questions around how do I use your product, or if I have to raise a ticket with you because I'm having performance issues, et cetera, which really in the cloud, you shouldn't need to do. Your product should be intuitive. The help should be better. You're reacting to performance issues before I see it. Um, if I'm using all the available bandwidth to ask those questions, I have a massive set of questions around how do I use your product for these other complex use cases, which I'm not asking. So the way we've been talking about this and the concept of uh, you know, service excellence is we need it to be in an end state. Now, this is a little bit of a North Star statement, right? Because this implies a lot of assumptions on your tech stack and stability of your product, new feature, rollouts, et cetera. But the types of conversations should be the higher order conversations on, hey, you know, there's new tax legislation in Poland that I need to be thinking about implementing specific rules for um, as I do my general ledger or whatever, right? How would you advise me on doing that? Which is a lot more satisfying if you've gone through so much training and education and experience in using the products and support to actually have that interaction than it is to point somebody to a knowledge article or a help item, which is like, wow, I, you know, I, I remember doing this when I was a support engineer at the beginning of my career. That was just like, wow, okay, one more of these. So the way we talk about this is that anything we remove from the bucket of things which really should be driven self-service or completely hidden from the customer will be filled up with so much more of the, okay, how do I get better use out of your product that 
theoretically, that means that even our engineers have the ability to grow their skills and career and experience and expertise. And we're seeing that, right? Some of the things, uh, some of the teams where we've actually reduced uh, how quickly um, it takes to, to get an answer to a question, remove friction so you get you know, better time to resolution or volumes are coming down. The nature of the conversations with these clients is different. It's more, I use the word complex, but it's like, okay, I want to go do different things in these different areas. It's not as simple as I'm looking at a, a help document and I'm done. It's what should I consider? What should I not consider? Um, that's better for everybody, right? Because um, ultimately, you know, that's where, that, that's a higher order conversation. It's not steeped with the, the baggage that goes with support as a word, right? Um, it is service excellence, or at least how we rebranded it. It is, how do I help you get better and better? And some of these are ones which you have to be delivered through a relationship, for example, a customer success manager, and others may just be, I do this twice a year as I'm making changes in my environment. I need a conversation for a few weeks with somebody who can help me. And then, great, I'm, you know, I'm off to the races. So that is going to force another evolution, right? How do we orient around that? But this, I guess this is a long and roundabout way of me saying there's no shortage of signals. For every signal set that you remove because it's no longer needed, we've, we've, we've we've built around it or built away from it will be replaced with new signals. And that's the, for me, the fun part of all of this. Well, and I think, you know, the way I would describe what you just said, you know, for employees there is it is a journey of them climbing the value stack with customers. And it's so funny. I'll tell you a cute story within TSIA. I'm working with our research team to put more digital capabilities in, in terms of how we respond to member inquiries so that the, so that the basics, to your point, the basic simple things, can be more automated. And you have some people who go, whoa, 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 if that's automated, then what am I doing? It's like, what are you doing? You're working on the harder problems, right? Yeah. You're working on the next higher order. And I think that's the right you know, mindset with employees is, is you're on these types of initiatives. Because again, it, and I'm, I'm, I'm you know, not on this one a little bit because I know watching companies, it is not easy to pivot off of historical metrics, Right, that organizations have lived and died by, and really focus on. And when you start saying, "Hey, actually, that's the wrong metric," people, their intuition is going to be to go, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> what do you, what do you mean?" So, you know, it's it's a big deal. It's it's a big deal to get them to pivot. It is, and I think it's not so much that it's the wrong metric. It's I expect you to run a tight ship. I expect you to be down, you know, with all the operational elements of running a support team, running a success team, right? But understanding whether we're moving the needle around customer sentiment is about focusing on which of these, while activity-based, right? I, I keep using that term because we need to be we need to be always cognizant of the fact that it's the step in the right direction. But what what are things which are actually a good proxy for what a customer would say? So obviously, I would test this with with our clients when I first started. You know, we talked about our transformation, and I'd share uh, with this is what we're trying to measure, just to see does it pass the sniff test. Right. And, you know, we have to think about uh, the fact that a lot of technology buyers are have their own success slash support functions into their employees. Right. So the types of conversations we're having isn't just falling on a deaf ear. It's like, oh, if I'm a CIO and I'm providing tier one, oh, wow, you're focusing on this. What could I go do? Right. So that that's the that's the it's been an interesting learning um, in whether this resonates or not.
Well, what a concept. We actually go out and talk to the customer about what is important to them. And, and it does this make sense <laughs> in terms of what we're measuring. That, there, there's a breakthrough thinking from, from our tech industry, finally. The, um, so I was going to ask you, you know, about sort of the KPIs of, of customer, of being customer-centric. But I think that um, you put a lot on the table on, the, on that um, topic. I, I want to bring in one of the key financial benefits I see of being customer-centric. And that is you know, what we call customer-led growth. And this is when you're using data and analytics about your current customers uh, to grow revenues more cost-effectively. So in terms of accelerating growth, what do you see as some of the benefits of being customer-centric? Well, so look, by definition, you have insight now into things which maybe don't necessarily you know, come to the table when there's a formal sales process, right? Oh, I've got an RFP that I'm putting out there. I've got these requirements, et cetera. Um, by really understanding, you know, there's multiple dimensions. There's what are you hearing and what are you seeing? Whether that's coming in through a trouble ticket into a support organization, even though it's not quote unquote trouble, right? This is about a question that's coming up on how do I, or the conversations I have with my CSMs that are, you know, business reviews or as part of the success plan, that uncovers insight in an environment which is less um, carbon obfuscated with this whole, oh, okay, you're trying to sell me something. It, it becomes real, you know, I guess you could do qualified lead, I guess, uh, for, for a better example. But it also then can allow you to start doing some pattern um, matching to go, you know what? Customers who've uh, uh, typically asked this question usually have bought these other products, you know, so uh, it's not a, let me, let me show you all my wares, um, which ones are going to, fit into what you currently have budget for and what you currently need. No, it's a much more informed conversation for sure. Exactly. Right. So, and it, and it goes to, Hey, you are providing me advice and counsel. You are advocating on my behalf and you're doing so in a way that is tied to, you actually understood how I'm doing with your product and with your feature, how it's enabling my business. So I think the opportunity for companies is not only to understand how do you orient people who are talking to the customer to recognize that without, without, having everybody be a rep, so to speak, and then capture, well, what patterns are you seeing when those types of conversations occur? Um, similarly, you know, even if you take conversations outside of, uh, sorry, interactions outside of those which are with people, like how is your client perusing your web presence, your community, your events, um, how they're doing on social media uh, around things that you're posting out there? Um, to drive a different kind of conversation. If I'm using financials and I happen to be poking around the uh, community around HR, uh, just and asking questions um, in, oh, okay, here we go, as opposed to a more formal sales process. So, you know, obviously there's a lot more to customer-led growth than just what I described here, but it, I think, drastically allows you to get to a point where you're having a relevant conversation faster. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, you know, I think it was three books ago, we, we wrote, uh, you know, helping will sell, selling won't help. And that's really what you just described there. And, and the fact that you're going to have, uh, you have much more informed, prescriptive conversations. And I asked that question because, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, Oracle, like every other technology company, you're in business, uh, you know, to be successful, be profitable, to make money. And, you know, customer-centric there is some real there there, and it is the proverbial win-win. So, I mean, it's a better customer experience by definition, you know, the listening, the understanding, the working on the metrics that, 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 that reduce friction in the customer's life. But by doing that, there is financial reward. 
there, yeah. you know, there, there really is because you can be much more prescriptive. Um, you can have these, you know, these much more natural conversations. And again, what you just described, you know, it's a big difference when you're trying to talk to a customer who just went out for an RFP versus you're talking to them in context based on what you've been actually witnessing them doing and making, you know, a recommendation. So, you know, there's, there's no, there's no doubt there's, there's upside there. Right. Um, so, so, you know, there is a, a really hard problem. Large tech companies like Oracle have always had to navigate, and that's basically effectively serving lots of vertical industries. And we wrote a paper about this. It was titled "Improving Your Vertical Leap." And in there, I basically argued that that tech companies that effectively verticalize their solutions they're going to protect margin. And again, it goes back to because you can be more prescriptive and that, that horizontal solutions, right? Sort of the blunt instrument for, you know, come one, come all are going to have a tendency to commoditize. So my question is, if you are truly going to be customer centric, doesn't that mean you really have to understand their industry, the in vertical industries and, and, and using your ter- terminology, you know, you have to migrate from having a product mindset to having more of an industry mindset. How, how do you go about that? Yeah. So this one, this one I think is the next frontier, right? Because I think every company would have a version of how they talk about their products and the concept of an industry solution and how much of it is architecture and how much of it is real. What do you need to understand about your portfolio around you know, is this a leap too far or not? For example, you may have a, a set of applications which are, by definition, horizontal in nature. Okay, financials, um, supply chain, uh, human capital management, um, where the majority is, hey, you close your books in a particular way. Is that there really a thousand variants of that, or um, you pay you do payroll in a particular way? Are there really a thousand versions of that? Um, but I'm just, but that, so what is the industry dimension? matter there. It's okay, what are the implications on um, the business impact, both positive and negative, when this doesn't occur effectively? How should you be talking to these clients around how others in their industry are doing in this space? You know, for, for example, um, being able to understand whether, uh, if you have, a, I'll make up an example. Um, in a particular industry, if the uh, employee base that a particular company has is one which is based on time cards, as an example. There's a set of best practices you need to be thinking about around how you do payroll and post all of these things so everybody gets paid by the hour or the proration, et cetera, um, that not only does the product need to work in a particular way or configured in a particular way, but all the things that you need to help with change management and training and education of your customer teams fits a particular pattern. So now I'm having a conversation with, you know, La Inc., who happens to be a logistics provider, and like, look, I understand that the majority of your employee base is, you know, time-based labor. Um, here's how you need to be thinking about your payroll process. Now, you've enabled not only by understanding their business on payroll in this case, but the nature of their business, right? So it's not like, hey, I've suddenly helped you grow your revenues, right? Um, and people look at you, go, really, really, is that what you did? Um, then you have the next frontier, which is, oh, okay, at an industry level, um, and this is the uh, what I'm observing when you're looking at this evolution of product-centric to industry-centric, now I'm buying a number of your products to enable an end-to-end workflow. Whereas before, maybe I would have just purchased individual pieces and they're very horizontal in nature. How does procure to pay or quote to cash work in an industry now when I've got you know, supply chain and financial products as well as uh, you know, sales products all in one? How do I package that up? How do I position that? How do I 
sell the value of this? How would I know and measure, right? In this particular case, you could end up saying, well, wow, you put three or four things together. What is a metric that you could use which captures all three of these as opposed to things I see you're using this feature in this part of the workflow, this feature set in this part of the workflow. It, it's a different kind of conversation altogether. So this become, and I think it becomes one which is real. Now you understand that, I don't know, procure to pay in a uh, hospital environment needs to have a specific set of expectations where there cannot be dis disruption um, or if there's disruption needs to be extremely short because you're impacting healthcare, right? So um, it, it's about understanding, well, all right, how do I now up-level this so that I think there's credibility in what I'm talking about without just being a, here's a pretty slide which says everything you want to see. Um, and then start having a conversation around, well, what does that expertise look like in who you hire, how you train them, how this shows up um, as your technology gets exposed to more than just IT, right, into lines of business, those conversations are important. What should I be measuring, you know, um, for a, it could be, yeah, I'll use another example. Um, if you sold, you know, a recruiting product, yeah, you want to look at time to fill requisitions, but let's have a conversation. Maybe there's a particular seasonality where I'm hiring like crazy over the holidays and the metric needs to change. You need to understand that it's not just the same old thing we've been looking at. I'm going to be doing a massive set of hiring in retail over November, December, January, or what have you. And how do I now, what should I be thinking about? What should I be doing? So I think that level of intimacy then allows you to then think about, well, now I really have an industry solution. Like at Oracle, we have a set of industry specific apps, right? Which are tied to key verticals, financials, entertainment, um, energy, rather, utilities, et cetera. But we also are now looking at for our horizontal apps, how do I become more business savvy and therefore more industry centric? Yeah, I mean, I, you open that response up by saying, "Hey, this, you know, I think this is the next frontier." And, and and I agree. In that paper, you know, we we called a lot of the fact that a lot of tech companies have what we call the thin vertical veneer, right? They it's sort of you know their website, they have web pages on it, they have some PowerPoint on it, but they're not doing the the lifting that you just described there, which is really understanding, you know, in each vertical industry, making sure we have the right people, making sure we, you know have the nuances of, of, of what they care about. So, you know, I think it's a journey for tech, but I firmly believe that, you know, mastering those vertical industries is definitely going to keep margin, you know, in play for folks. Um, so, so there's another challenge um, that, you know, uh, you know, companies like Oracle that have been around for a while have, and that is, you know, migrating customers from the old to the new. And, and you guys have lots of customers with lots of legacy products installed. So what is a customer-centric approach to helping customers migrate their environments from, from on-prem to cloud? How do, you, how do you tackle that? Uh, so, you know, this is, I think, a lot of, as you quite rightly point out, a lot of companies which uh, have had major strength and presence in on-prem and now moving to the cloud, like, you know, what does that really entail? First and foremost, you have to really understand who has the appetite to move. You know, um, cloud is an opportunity for business transformation fundamentally doing things and it's not lifting and shifting how you had built your solution over the last 20 years and saying just make it work in the cloud there are solutions for that you can go and take your custom stuff and put it in a public cloud and, and be done um, so understanding appetite understanding that um, you can advise clients who may be a little hesitant that no there's tens of thousands of clients just like you who are now successfully running their business you can see in your references, et cetera, that are achieving these business objectives. I'm closing my books now. 
and you know, and being able to report um, to the street in ten days as opposed to whatever three weeks before. Um, it, it you bring those learnings where okay, maybe if I'm hesitant, I will actually consider this now. Then understanding well, what does business process transformation mean, right? How do I do things differently? Um, how do I advise in that particular area? This is kind of where even your your sales motion comes into play, your your success motion over time, um, because it it removes the scariness of okay, you are going to help me in this. You're not just going to say go transform and then you you can get all these business benefits. So that type of conversation needs to happen with anybody, and you know it could be a case of all right, I'm not ready right now. I'm going to do nothing. But next year, I might be ready. I, I need to pivot my business. Um, so, and then being able to show that, look, you know, it is a journey. It is not as simple as lifting and shifting. You have to be thinking through how do I change the way in which I push learning to my organization or do order management, et cetera. Um, and how are you going to help me along the way, regardless of where I'm at, whether I'm implementing, whether I'm going live, whether I'm managing and operating in the cloud, that continuity of experience that I just mentioned at, you know, when we first started talking. That's how, you know, I found that clients are ready to go, oh, okay, so you're not leaving me on my own here. You're not relying on me not only to think through how I run my business differently, but suddenly have experts in this. You are showing me that you're going to be side by side with me in an intimate way as part of this overall experience. And that's what we've seen, you know, really land, right? Because there's a, there's a case of when you're ready to go, Help me on my journey. This is a little bit of a cliche for our industry, right? It's a, aligned to my journey, but I mean, it's a cliche because it's correct. It's a, it's it's what customers are expecting, you know? Yeah, and I think, you know, one thing that we always, you know, coach legacy companies, right, who are making a shift to the cloud is a concept of, of really a version of market segmentation, which is look at your install base. Not every customer is the, a good candidate to be an early mover here for you. You really need to be looking at attributes like you were saying. Are they ready? What's their, you know, it could be risk tolerance. It could be just where they are. There's a whole bunch of different factors, but you should create some criteria there. Segment your install base. Focus on the customers that it makes sense right now, right? Start with them and then work through that install base. And it leads to a, a follow-up question, which is, you know, I'm, I'm sure you probably also have a lot of customers that now are in a mixed environment. They've, they have, you know, traditional on-prem stuff, but now they're using some new stuff in the cloud. Talk to folks about some of the unique challenges of, of you know, supporting those types of customers. Uh, yeah. So, you know, this often comes up with, oh, wow, this sounds great. You're going to give me all of this amazing, uh, highly intimate, uh, you know, people who know me type of engagement as my cloud journey. But I spend all this money. Why can't I get it for these other uh, products which are on-prem? So, it's, you know, it's a fair question, right? I'm a customer's buying in this case, the entire suite of products or a set of suite of products from a vendor. Um, why is there a distinct and differentiated experience? And, you know, oftentimes it's tied to the fact that there's a lot more you can do when you're running and operating and managing a customer's application on their behalf because you have that telemetry, you have those signals. Um, and in an on-prem world where, you know, you have to now tell me exactly what you're doing, how did you set this up? You know, there's no... There's no, I'm keeping you up to date every time I tweak anything, right? So consequently, the interactions have more friction because they take a lot longer to you know, explain context. But it comes up a lot to go, okay, how do I get this with some of these other elements? And, and also being able to understand that not every technology project is the same. You know, um, implementing a cloud application to run parts of your business has what I mentioned before. I'm 
changing my business process now, which I've been doing for 15 years. And, and uh, the, the stakeholders are different. Maybe the working team, you know, characteristics are different. You might have a systems integrator who is leading this on your behalf. Whereas if you're just moving workloads into a public cloud, maybe the implementation is shorter and you have a different persona set who might have a different set of capabilities or experiences, which means that they don't need as much handholding, right? So it definitely provides uh, or, or, or brings complexities for a technology company, like a vendor like us to try to solve for. Um, and so what we're trying to do is understand, look, when you're at plan phase, or if you're at the build phase or implement phase, or if you're at the adopt phase or the succeed phase, um, choose whatever, you know, journey map language you want, how can we understand, well, what do we do for planning across the entire portfolio? Even if one is heavyweight and one is super lightweight, being able to message in a consistent way is, is key, right? And I think a lot of companies will struggle with this because I'm going to provide you a differentiated experience for the areas which are going to be, you know, transformative to our clients' businesses and, and us as a company. Um, but we can't take our eye off the fact that we have a big install base who are either going to want help in their decision once they make it um, or feel that, no, I'm looking after you holistically. Um, so yeah, this is, this is, this is a tough one. Um, I think it starts with just acknowledging that we have to have a consistency of language, if nothing else, before we get into like, how do we do things? Yeah, no, it, it definitely is. It is a tricky one for sure. And again, the longer a company has been around, uh, the more robust your historical, you know, portfolio, then, you know, there's a lot of work to be, to be done there. Well, I, I have, I want to respect your time here and I have one final question and, you know, an interesting consequence of being more customer centric. I mean, if you really get this right, um, customers can actually end up being even more reliant on you as a technology provider. As you just mentioned, and when they're not running it, you're running it on their behalf. Um, you know, again, you're being more prescriptive, you know, helping them solve their business problems. And you and I were talking before and you said, you know, that can make some customers actually a little nervous. So how do you help them through that knothole? Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, it comes with the fact of, by definition, when you move from on-prem to the cloud, you lose, there's a perception of loss of control or loss of um, transparency. I used to be able to see XYZ. I used to get regular updates from my teams on everything. And now I'm reliant on whatever you're providing, you know, fill in the blank for any cloud provider. Um, I think it starts with it being very open and honest around what does it mean to successfully manage and operate in the cloud, which is a different conversation than my widget is awesome. It's going to transform your business. Well, no, you have to be able to understand how often is new innovation going to be pushed out to me? What do I need to do when you provide me an update in terms of regression testing on what I'm currently using your technology for? How do I drive change management? Those conversations um, need to happen from the very beginning and stay engaged because what that shows is the custodians of the technology, typically, you know, the CIO's uh, remit is going to be the front end for a lot of these things. So how do you help them understand what's needed? Um, even this notion of uh, control around, okay, I used to be able to see these 50 things, like what five things, 10 things can I provide you now, which don't show you how the sausage is made because you shouldn't care, but give you the things that you absolutely do care about because if something happens to go bump in the night, you have business stakeholders who are, you know, um, asking you those questions. So how can we arm you with what's needed to say, okay, you know, um, th this is where we're at. This is what the remediation is without getting down to the minutia. So that's the evolution, which is, hey, I used to be able to do this. 
all by myself. And I knew exactly how to engage with my key stakeholder technology vendors. So now I, I have a different role that I need to evolve my teams to play. And I need to understand what outcome-based indicators can I use to go message either to set expectations, reset expectations, or look at areas for continuous improvement. So, um, you know, all of that is a kind of a, a long, uh, rounded way of basically saying, helping understand and having empathy for what your stakeholders who are managing and operating in the cloud, even though you're the cloud provider, is huge because it's, a, oh, okay, at least I'm not just going everything going into a black box. No one's listening to me. Uh, so I think, I think that this is an evolution as more and more companies go into the cloud. What is the nature of, of IT? How can you even think, especially given how many lines of business now have technology savvy? Like, what do you need to share? How often do you need to share it? Do you have to understand understand the context behind why they want you to share it? It's not just because one person there wants an answer. It's likely because there's 10 stakeholders you'll never see that have downstream impacts, right? So this is something which you just have to have every person talking to the client understand, empathize with, and, and advise, in my opinion. Yeah. It, it, so as I listen to you there, I mean, you know, you're taking some customers on a journey that takes them out of their comfort zone. And to do that, you know, you 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 got to put a blanket around them, and that blanket, you know, it help help them feel comfortable. And that, and that could be again the, the, the telemetry that you do share, you know, what's the data that is important for them, uh, for, you know, for their stakeholders. But you've got you've got to be empathetic there. If you know, if you want them to to really trust you, you want to have that relationship. You have to you know be thinking about their perspective on that. Yeah, and sorry, we both learn together, right? There'll be cases where often you learn in a crisis. Okay, something went bump in the night or during the day, and in that crisis, the friction comes in to go, okay, I need this, I need that. How come I'm not getting, oh, wow, okay, I've learned a lot now about you should not see these problems again because you need timely and effective communications. How do I get that out to you, right? So that's where this notion of partnership comes in. In cloud, it's a partnership. It's not a vendor relationship if we do this right. And that means understanding what that means through the entire journey. Well, hey, Muz, thanks, thanks so much for joining Tectonic today. Uh, great insights. Uh, I know there's a lot of people that are very, you know, curious about how uh, Oracle is navigating, you know, a, a really big journey here is a, is a company, right? And um, in terms of the whole portfolio and and, and taking customers along that journey uh, along the way there. So good conversation. As always, I like to end with sort of the question of the day. Now, your website now says you are a customer-centric company. Beyond that, what has been done to actually operationalize this concept across the company? Cheers, everybody.